we were doing a development um, in Arizona, and I was having this conversation with people, and, and I was like, you know, we would have been so much worse off if a year ago or a year and a half ago we would have uh, had everything done and ready to break ground. We got so that that deal got put off about eight months just because of the market and timing and what was going on, and that actually was the best thing that could have possibly happened because we got to adapt to the market and we got to see things and we got to change. So the end product is much better. That now we have this uh, this backdrop that we can take a look at and see how did these high interest rates affect storage? Because I mean, at the end of the day, that was completely unknown. Oh, 100%. Uh, we never had that in the self-storage industry where we went through a time um, with interest rates this way. Welcome, everybody, to self-storage income. And uh, you know what? It's getting towards the end of the year now. Um, it's been quite a year, um, a year for the books, really. Uh, maybe not in good ways, but one for the books. <laughs> one for the uh, books. For the storage man. industry. So. Holy moly. How you doing, Connor? Doing fantastic, man. Yeah, yeah, doing fantastic. No complaints at all. I mean, like you said, this year has been one for the books in a lot of ways. Um, we have been just nonstop grinding through summertime, busy season, um, doing things that we've never done before to drive occupancies, to drive revenue, and and things that we have done before, getting back to basics, going yeah. back to some of these things like customer service and these other things that we've talked about in different podcasts. And uh, it's just been nonstop, go, go, go. And um, like you're saying, this year uh, has just changed in so many ways for the storage industry. A lot of that had to do with what we saw going on, you know, at a federal level, interest rates, all those different things. Um, and all of that trickles down from, you know, our private equity side, raising capital, finding deals, getting things done, all the way to operations, right? Because yeah. the the effects that those changes have on the housing market, all those things. So, you know, all said and done, man, doing really, really good. Through times like this, I think it's, uh, you know, it's beneficial to actually be able to take a step back and to look at what's working, what's not working, yes. to reevaluate what really truly made us great in the first place and getting back to those fundamentals and driving those things again and not getting so far off in certain areas. And I know we've talked in podcasts previous about having this flexibility to test, right? You know, we can yeah. test these different technologies and that's what we're all about. We're about pushing the envelope, figuring out what works, what doesn't. And, um, this year for us, it's just, it's been a great year getting back to basics, getting back to the good stuff and uh, driving some new initiatives to really just adapt with this new environment that we're in with interest rates, consolidation, market rates where they're at, um, user expectations at facilities, all these different metrics and uh, pieces of the storage industry that are changing. It's uh, it's adapt or die and it's been a productive year of adaptation to yeah. say the least. It really <laughs> has. You know, it's interesting too because even returning back to the basics, it's like returning back to a lot of the basics in a new world, you know, and the implementation of those basics uh, changed. And uh, it's, you know, I, I think we look a lot and I talk about how um, the goal, what you're trying to accomplish uh, doesn't change, but the strategy to get there always does. And you have to be flexible and willing to do that. And uh, I think that that's a clear defining moment when markets go through transitionary periods, which we're in the whole market's in one, right? And storage has been one. And we've been very fortunate. I mean, for everybody that's listening to this now, you know, we've seen this change. 
and uh, there's uh that's that's a lot um a lot of people don't stick around and uh, those that do though they come out on the other side and they've learned so much more they can do more and it's we're, we're in a much better spot than we have been in the last three years because we know right and i was talking we, we we are doing a development um in arizona and i was having this conversation with people and, and i was like you know we would have been so much worse off if a year ago or a year or half and ago we would have uh, had everything done and ready to break ground we got so that that deal got put off about eight months just because of the market and timing and what was going on and that actually was the best thing that could have possibly happened because we got to adapt to the market and we got to see things and we got to change. So the end product is much better. That's how people are. And that's how storage operators are. And that's how you are buying. Um, that's how you are operating. That's how you are looking at the industry as a whole and what you should be doing. That now we have this, uh, this backdrop that we can take a look at and see how did these high interest rates affect storage? Because I mean, at the end of the day, that was completely unknown. Mm. I mean, it really was. Oh, 100%. Uh, we never had that in the self-storage industry where we went through a time um, with interest rates this way. It's never occurred. We had storage facilities in the 80s, and the first one was like at the end of the 70s. But, I mean, it was like nothing, right? In the 80s, most people had never seen a storage facility in their life, right? It really wasn't until the end of the 80s that started to come up, then the 90s, and then the early 2000s. So we've storage has existed primarily in a um, very narrow band interest rate environment or a lowering band. We had prior to 2008, um, we saw interest rates change, but obviously nothing to the effect and to what's been going on today. Well, a lot less debt. Yes, and they are a lot less debt on assets. So the effect wasn't going to be nearly as profound. And uh, um, now we can actually see those things in place. Now for us and for others that are in this industry for long-term people, we're not going away anytime soon. This is what we do. Um, so we will be in it for decades to come. Uh, this, these kind of different uh, cycles and environments we get to see that sharpens, that makes us better in both execution and acquisition. Um, and that allows us to go through the next phase and level up essentially. And that's the cool thing about this year is that, you know, we've just learned so much and we've learned uh, so much on the management operations, the players in the market. So who wants to be in storage, who's buying, selling, how those assets would work and look after going through a cap rate compression like they did, which before, once again, that never really happened. Um, and now we get to operate in that environment. And I think that uh, that makes us, that makes everybody better, but it makes it even better moving forward from the standpoint of acquiring, meaning we have these test subjects. So when you're looking at it, where, when there's these unknowns, when everything's just going straight up, and especially when you're at the top, you're just like, this can't last forever. We don't know when it'll end. <laughs> and exactly. we don't know what it'll look like when it does. It's way better to be on on this side. And you can see the difference in assets. And, you know, today, one of the big things we're talking about is smaller facilities and underwriting that. And we've had a huge drop off on acquisitions this year due to high interest rates. And um, the transactions that are being had, the vast majority of them are small facilities. 
So you got 60 plus percent of all inventory, I think this year, last numbers I was looking at that are transacting are smaller assets, which makes sense. The bigger assets, you have more debt, um, bigger players that are more sensitive to these massive swings and change in capital, you have to raise more capital. Um, they're more complex on the capital side to transact, are not transacting. Uh, portfolios have just, you know, gone away. I mean, we haven't seen hardly any portfolio acquisitions at all this year. And uh, the deals that are trading are smaller deals. And those are where a lot of the opportunity today lies. And we've even made internal changes where we did like self-storage incomes doing our partnership program, where we're actually partnering with people on small deals. We have services that allow for people small deals on our debt, everything else. And we definitely went in and made changes, in, which is interesting because prior, we didn't do small deals at all. Like we, we did that starting out, we got out of it and 2009 or 10 and only did big deals. And then we just started buying some smaller deals again. And the reason being why we bought those smaller deals and why we're doing like a partnership program stuff on the smaller deals is because that's where the market is, right? Or allows and we have to do it. But that also dramatically changes the way you have to do things. So we, like management, everything else, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. Big facilities and small facilities are not the same. We can do things in big facilities you can't do in small facilities. Um, there is more safety in some aspects to big facilities, and there's more safety in some aspects to smaller facilities, which we'll get into, and we'll talk about underwriting it. Um, but it is a different game. You should look at it differently because it is different. It is. And something you'd mentioned, you know, all these changes, this, these adaptations, you know, us looking in the mirror this last year has, uh, has brought a lot of good change for us and for the industry in general. But the other really good piece of change um, is, well, not piece of change, but another good outcome of all the change is there are a lot of operators out there that haven't adapted with those changes and are still operating the way they were a year, two yeah. years ago, three years ago, whatever that is, ten years ago. Yeah. And so there's gonna there's gonna be this this spread that continues to grow between the well operated and the not so well operated facilities, and that's gonna build really good acquisition opportunity for us and for you guys out there looking for deals. A hundred percent. The you know this is one of those moments that is I always like to think it is a calling the herd. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. The real right. players stick around. The ones that aren't don't, um, and that increases opportunities. Uh, when everybody's trying to get a piece of pie, you're having to fight with people. Um, it's just harder. It's harder to to get in. It's harder to get quality. So you know, when we look at the big facilities versus small facilities, there's a few things that really stand out. Obviously, size means more doors, um, and that means more revenue. So. When we look at the pros and cons of them, uh, generally speaking, the small facilities, there's more to buy. Uh, most of them are more mom and pop rated, operated and ran. Why? Because the large facilities is where institutional capital goes, just because of the literally the size. You can't deploy it. And two, there's less revenue to do things with. One of the downsides of small facilities, there's just less, right? And so the impact of shrinking revenue is much higher because your expense load on a small facility is higher. So your margin gets hit way more 
Um, and, but you have way more upside usually in operations and things you can do on smaller facilities like on a dollar for dollar than big ones because they're better ran, they're more institutionally great. Now, one thing though with the big ones is there is uh, levers that you pull can be way more powerful. So when you find things on big facilities that are not aligned, uh, when they're not doing certain aspects, one pull of that can have a very large effect on that asset. Um, and you can do more to resist changes and be okay. The margin's bigger, right? Mm -hmm. So you can offer more products, different types of products. Now, the one bad thing though with big facilities is in, over mar uh, in oversupplied markets, it can be harder to fill up that many units, right? Whereas if I have a small facility that only has, you know, 20,000 square feet, we've got 100 doors or whatever it is, um, you can, you know, it's just less you have to do. I need 10 more, 10 more units I need to fill. That's it. So, okay, this month I want to get 10 more people in. I got to fill up 10 more units, right? Uh, big facility, you know, you could literally, that 10% could be 100 units. So there is the difficulty with larger facilities in the fact that oversupplied markets, I, I, I think those big facilities, they fill it a little more and it can be a little harder to quickly change, right? Obviously, quick changes on a small facility are easy. There's just less. Big changes though um, on big, or uh, changes on big facilities are slower. They take time to fill things up. And because they take time, you are subject to market cycles, the ups and downs more. Uh, one of the biggest differences though is the asset itself. So I'm I, talking a little bit about the revenue, the layout, but the asset itself, meaning the asset that's traded on the market. So people wanna buy, sell the assets. Big facilities are way, way more in demand. So you have uh, less chance of price compression on big facilities in general. So big markets, big facilities have lower cap rates and they generally maintain those lower cap rates through different market cycles. Small facilities in small cities, their cap rates may fluctuate massively. I mean, you can literally have facilities that there is no buyer for. Mm -hmm. So even if you wanted to sell, Nobody even wants to buy it. That generally doesn't happen with big storage facilities and big markets. So the risk of the trading of the asset, uh, the asset itself, meaning that, that, that security, right? Meaning you're buying that company or whatnot on the open market, that is much more volatile on smaller assets in smaller facilities. Mm -hmm. The only difference is if you have a really big facility in a really small market, um, it's disproportionate to the market, right? And I've, we've seen this, we've looked at deals where we're like, this is a 120,000 square foot facility in this teeny city. And you're just like, they're like, oh, we're full. And I'm like, yeah, but you have one hiccup. That thing you could lose, like where, where are you gonna get new customers from? Like what, yeah. it's just, it's not correlated, right? And um, those I think probably get hit massive that yeah. when downturns go, people are like, I'm not, buying that thing. Uh, but outside that, as a general rule for the asset, uh, bigger facilities hold their value when they're stabilized as a general rule better. Mm -hmm.
No, you're making a really good point on not only what the what the facility is today and what it means to you today, but what that facility is going to mean to you 10, 20, 30 years or to your family after you're gone as far as the exit is concerned. And it also makes me think from a another big differentiator here from an operations standpoint is is also the the marketing and customer acquisition, the competition that you're going to experience. Again, bigger facilities, bigger markets, bigger players. You're going to have to be a lot more competitive. Way more. Smaller markets, not so much. Not right? so much. No, you're exactly right. I mean, big facilities, big cities. And to buy that, really, we're talking now mid-sized cities. Second, third tier markets now, yeah. they're, for all intensive purposes, most are institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And those big assets and big facilities are utilizing their revenue to compete. So when we look at it, there's something in the industry that changed a while ago that we held where I thought I would rather be a higher expense load, but have higher rents and perform better. Meaning that I didn't want to compete on expense for my margin. I wanted to compete on revenue for margin. And that is something that is generally adapted, meaning that we will use more of our revenue to compete higher, to get higher fill-up rates and higher prices, um, as opposed to just simply lowering expense load to increase margin. That means that we have more revenue in big facilities, we can compete more, and everybody then competing makes it hyper-competitive. And there's a lot of markets, you guys, that are hyper-competitive in the United States right now for those big facilities. It's very much more like when we started. And that's the thing that people don't realize. You know, when we got started, we fought for customers. That's been gone for a decade. Um, that's back. That's just part of the game and you need to be ready for it. In small facilities and small markets, people aren't usually spending money for to compete. So it's generally a lot easier right. uh, to compete <laughs> and win. And you don't have to spend nearly the amount of capital. Even on a percentage basis, I would still argue that probably a small facility for marketing, for you know, advertising, pay-per-click, everything else is smaller than a percentage at a big facility. Why? Because the cost to market in big competitive markets can literally be 6x per customer than it is in a smaller market. So um, you, you, you have that landscape. And when you look at small facilities, if you can, if you're buying ones that aren't competing and aren't doing good, you're already building in yourself a big upside from your basis. That's where the big facilities are much harder, because you're buying a well-operated facility. If things get worse, what is the ups? Like, what is your margin from value add? It's a lot less, right? As a percentage basis goes. Now, if you can find a big facility that's underperforming, obviously that's. The best of both worlds right but let's just be honest that's not what it used to be this market the vast majority of this market that's consolidated is in large facilities that means that the most competitive capable players right they went to almost all of them big facilities and they're all competing and that's happened over a long time so the net absorption and quality of institutional players has changed dramatically amongst big facilities. So your ability to purchase now underperforming mom and pops is dramatically lower the bigger the market and the bigger facility goes. If you're trying to buy an underperforming mom and pop in you know, Houston, Dallas, Austin, Miami, uh, Orlando, LA, you know, those these big markets, 
good luck. I'm sure they're out there. But two, the problem is lots of times you have to pay for the upside mm -hmm. because so much capital wants to get it. That's not true in small markets. It's not competing like that. There's more mom and pop, there's more upside, and there's less competition. So you can kind of get the best of both worlds, meaning that I can go in and I can get a better price and more upside. And I say this a lot, but I'm like, if I wanted to increase my actual return on my money, meaning dollar return, I would go down market. Now, when you hear that, everybody goes, okay, then why don't you? That doesn't make any sense. So you're saying you can get a higher return if you go down market. Well, for a few reasons. First of all, I'm dramatically increasing my risk over different market cycles, things like that. But two, um, I would have to do that and I would have to do most of the work. Like it's a lot harder to execute on that. And at a whole, it's actually less. Meaning that I can have one facility that's 100,000 square feet. That net revenue from that facility may equal four small facilities. Mm -hmm. But operating four small facilities is the same as operating the one big one. So now my expense as I grow is not nearly as proportionate. It costs so much more on a portfolio level for small facilities than it does big ones. That's why it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on the end Go my portfolio managing it. On an individual one, if I had to start out, if I lost everything, they said, AJ, start out, immediately. I would go out, I would find these third, fourth tier markets that were growing. I'd find a small mom and pop facility. I'd make a deal with them. I'd try to do solar financing. I'd immediately turn it around, refinance, get my capital out, or I'd sell it. And then I'd, and I'd keep doing that in small facilities until I got too many to where it didn't make sense, sell them all off and go up. That's what we did the first time. That's what we would do again. So um, these pros and cons, in today's market, you guys have dramatically shifted. When we were in that bull market, everything was going up. The upside was huge because we were buying underperforming big facilities in good markets like second tier markets that had big upside and we were getting them at decent prices. Today, you're not getting them at decent prices. They have less upside and the cost to do so is way higher. Mm -hmm. Whereas in small facilities, we can now get at a good price and we get good, we can get things like seller financing. They have good upside. Now, over the last four or five years, I was totally anti for me, small facilities, because you were paying so much for them. Why wouldn't I do that and pay a big one, right? So once again, our goal never changes, but the strategies in which we get there and the market changes. And the price in which you pay is a big factor on obviously how much you're gonna make, the safety and security of that asset moving forward. Now, the financing part is the hard thing. If you're down in small deals and small facilities, right? Um, and there's, you know, it's just, it's harder to get financing in general. Um, and the cost of the financing is very impactful on those small deals and can increase the risk dramatically. Why? Because if I lose occupancy and I have this huge debt payment, you know, it is. So that's where it gets it gets tougher. One of the best ways to optimize management and to increase the value of your self-storage facility is through property management. And that means you're going to need really good property management software. That's where Tenant Inc. comes in. These guys have a huge amount of tools at your fingertips that you guys can deploy to extract the maximum amount of value and deploy the maximum amount of value at your storage facility. Again, this is Tenant Inc. Be sure to check them out. They're all things property management. It's truly your one-stop shop. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. It's, it gets tougher. Now, in small facilities, 
and big facilities. The number one difference, though, this is the major difference, and this is the pros and the cons with them, is operations. Operations is the big difference. Uh, small facilities, it makes no sense to have a manager on site. You, it, yeah, maybe you can do it. I haven't seen it to be able to, but it takes up so much of your margin. I mean, if you're making, obviously, $10,000 a month, and you have to pay someone $4,000 a month to manage it, that's 40% of your total gross revenue right off the bat. Mm -hmm. that, that that's your margin. Item. It's yeah. gone. That's your whole profit mm -hmm. in that deal. It doesn't make sense. So now a lot of people, it's really funny because a lot of people say, oh, automation and self-storage. We're doing manless storage facilities. It's this new revolutionary thing. We were always doing that. All our facilities that we purchased that were small facilities were manless. We did not have managers on site back in the early 2000s because you couldn't, didn't make sense. So even when we say automation and manless facilities, that's actually not new at all. That's how it's always worked. The ability to use a website and link that up with an email and a gate code and then have, wire, uh, have keyless technology, okay, that's different. Right. So that strategy, but we never had managers to begin with. Uh, so that stuff is normal. That's how it works. Right. Um, and so looking at that, that obviously doesn't scare me. It's not anything I care about uh, because that's how we got started. and We operated when the bigger you get, people ask, OK, operations. Now you have a person on site and there's more. So it's harder to simplify. uh things in a bigger facility because you have more. So the amount of people actually needing you every single day dramatically increases, especially if you're aggressively operating, which we do. So all of a sudden you have people coming in every single day to buy a unit. They're, they're trying to get in there. And then you also have people that are leaving. You have service. You have all these things going on. You have a problem on site. You're kicking out customers, right? All of a sudden you have one location and that's a thousand people that every month you're giving rate increases to, people are moving in and out, and you change your occupancy in a year, like a net spread of like 25%, meaning people are moving and leaving, it may even be more than that, 30%. That's 300 people that you're dealing with, both moving in and moving out. That's a 600 person spread. Yeah, and that's you think a of, lot of people, right? And you think of all the touch points that those individuals have yes. through the customer acquisition process, the customer service process, move in, move out, every piece of that experience from start to finish, and all the touch points they're going to have with you, your technology, yes. your managers, all of that. It's a lot, but it's like you lot. said, it can be a benefit because you're consolidating exactly. it to one to one location. Piece, right? Yeah, so. and two, then um, on that side, operations are easier. Once again, having a thousand units at one versus having a thousand units at 10, that's obviously easier to create uh, policies, uh, procedures, systems, everything else, because they're all in one location. Well, maintenance is another huge piece. Huge piece. If you're going to have a bunch of small facilities huge all over piece. the place, your maintenance costs are going to be huge. Um, and again, it's, it's not only just the at a facility that's larger that you're going to consolidate again it's just if you're able to consolidate your expense load um, whether it's management or that user experience or whatever it is your your marketing everything else is another huge thing the marketing piece if you can consolidate all your yeah. resources and your a, margins bigger one piece like it's it's a huge huge benefit but again going more towards having the the manless 
technologically advanced facilities where you can have a manager go around and look at a few of the facilities here and there. But just keep in mind things like the maintenance, like those those yes. pieces that are going to increase your expenses and how can you reduce those expenses at those smaller facilities that you might have spread out across town. Exactly. You have you ten, escape, you've 10 you know? xed the amount that can happen. Exactly. Because right. if you have a car that runs off a road and hits that <clears> one <throat> big facility, right? Okay, that's one. But now you have 10. There's all these things that can go on at 10 different locations, right? So you're actually spreading out um, your exposure to risk. A perfect one is think about contracting with snow plowing for 10 mm-hmm. versus one. Right. You pay more for it. Yep. So your margins are just smaller. Well, maybe and, just think too of, of like the administrative back end and the like setting up of entities and things oh, as well. Yeah, you have entities, so you have the legal people side. People need to know who they're picking up yep. calling. I have individual ad campaigns. So then I have to pay startup costs for everyone. I have it, you know, it really is small facilities. You guys have small, smaller margins on a portfolio level. Mm-hmm. Now, where this doesn't count, if I'm doing everything by myself, that's totally different. Because now I may go, listen, I'm buying it. I don't have a management company, so I no longer have management company expenses, which you can't have that if you have a big facility. And then you go, I'm just, you know, I'm the one that either I automate everything I can, and then what I don't automate, I hire a VA. Okay, now guys, you can have a much, much bigger margin, right? So the difference of scale and individual operating and owning is really big when you're talking about big facilities and small facilities. Small facilities just don't scale well. No. They just don't. Something that I was thinking of too, that I think there's gonna be a lot more opportunity and we have seen more opportunity in the more small, medium-sized facilities is, I know we've talked in the past about being in the path of growth and with the mass migrations that we've seen from larger cities to smaller cities and the, the growth that those places have experienced, I think there is a really good opportunity to get in the path of growth and get in some of those areas, find those low performing facilities, come in, start running the ad campaign, start, you know, revenue management, start doing these different pieces of actually running and operating a facility. But I think there's there's still a lot of opportunity to jump in in those those smaller markets because even like there's we've seen more opportunity. Smaller markets are just they're they're growing like crazy. Yeah. And I think it's a perfect time to be able to jump into those. We are. I mean, yep. That's why I'm like, no, I'll do a partnership yep. program and stuff. And, and, right. and it's just, it needs to be. So once again, when we look at big facilities, small facilities, you have to understand the differences because you have to set it up differently. And you need to be ready to know here are the upsides and here are the downsides. So today we're in an environment where the downsides to big facilities, we talked about some of the upsides, but the downsides is that acquisition front. Mm-hmm. So what happens is we're just not acquiring very much. Now, the upside to small facilities is that there's more acquisition opportunities. So now all of a sudden an opportunity is there that you don't have on one side. These things change, right? So with two, two and a half years ago, you were paying almost the same on a cap rate as a big facility as a small facility. To me, that meant there weren't opportunities. So last three, four years, small facilities, you were paying a premium to buy. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot less opportunity in the small facilities. That's that's now changed, right? And these things will continue to change. The other problem that you have on um, small facilities on the financing side, you also, though, have the opportunity of seller financing. Large facilities, people don't want to seller finance as much because they have debt, they have partners, it's more complex. 
not that we don't do it in our funds that we've got now we've got our eight million dollar facility in a city that's two million people that we got seller financing uh for which is amazing in our fund too click the link below you can see it um but the overall when we look at small facilities we can creative finance much much better so all of a sudden starting out it's a totally different game you can operate better there's more opportunity right to find and buy good prices you can do creative financing that if you have problems financing you're definitely gonna have problems on the big facilities mm -hmm. that's not like all of a sudden you are it's easier for you to get five million dollars right from a bank or you know no it, it's gonna be easier when you can cut the bank out so now all of a sudden there's just way more opportunities and advantages there. Uh, disadvantages are uh, today that we see, there are lots of opportunities there, but the disadvantages are overall um, economics and our lift. So that lift of revenue and these small facilities, small towns, in general, guys, these places get hit harder during hard economic times. It's how it works. There's less economic growth and there's less to capitalize on. In a big market, we may have vacancy thing, but I can still find people that are making a lot and I can I know that I'm like if I can keep compete better, I can get an edge. In a small fourth tier market in middle America, that edge may not even exist during hard times at all. So there are those things that you got to look at and that's why we approach it differently. If I'm buying a small facility, I look at purely money on the table. What can I get out of it today? Other than that, I do not underwrite or expect markets to lift that asset up. Mm -hmm. And I don't underwrite to get an exit. Meaning if I'm buying this and all my returns are coming from an exit, that is crazy in a small storage facility in a small town. Because that is something that may never exist. Don't do it. And Trust me, been there, done that. So yeah. I know. Um, <laughs> the exit methodology of a sale in small markets and small facilities, it's tough. And there can be long, long periods of time where that exit doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I'm talking five years where literally that exit's not even an option. Um, so you need to structure and finance and you need to buy accordingly. Um, bigger facilities, once again, are more fluid. Now you may have to take a cut so there's, and people are like, well, you said there's not a lot of opportunities to buy big storage facilities. Like, not, but that's too, because people aren't selling them. I'm just gonna keep making money. Like, I don't, I don't need to sell it at a loss. I don't need to sell it at a lower amount. So the prices aren't adjusting like they are in smaller facilities. Uh, I gotta sell it and there's just not really a market for it. So I'm just gonna take the hit. Um, so small facilities, small uh, is beneficial in operations on one end where big facilities are beneficial in operations one end. Acquisition on one side, another. It's just, it's the same side, you guys have the same coin, but one's heads and one's tails. And the market's gonna flip that coin. And wherever it lands is where that opportunity is gonna be. You need to be able to adjust. Does that mean I'm not doing big facilities? No, not at all. Like that will never end. Why? Because the market presents other opportunities in big facilities. I'm big on development right now. Why? Because nobody is. So you hear everybody and they're like, oh, risk's off. I don't want to do a development. And it's like, that's the time you should be developing. I don't, I don't know how many times I got to tell the market this. Two and a half years ago, when we're like, there's a self-storage bubble, everybody was pouring everything they could into development. We're like, you guys should be nervous about putting a development out of the ground right now. Now, 
now it's down. We're like, okay, we got three developments. We're getting out. We want to put it on the ground. We're really excited for it, right? And now people are like, oh, the market's not very good. The reason being is when everybody is um, risk off and there's no development, that gives me a runway of years of constrained inventory. That means I'm putting a new product out and I'm getting to, there's the competition's less and there will be less for years. Why? You can't put a facility out in six months. It doesn't exist, right? It takes a long time. So then in those markets, I'm basically getting what I think of the rent runway is way bigger, way more lift. And I am the new and the big player in that market. So I'm way better off. And then in three, four years, guess who has the good location? Who's new? So you want to buy when you come to town. Um, you know, we're in a way, way better spot. So um, we like that play right now. We are acquiring big facilities. Once again, we're doing normally specialty things. So the ones that we are buying, there's usually a reason. It's because it's seller financing. It's because they can't sell it. And it's true. We have, we have a facility right now that we're trying to finish up. And we've been working on this thing for months. We've had two of our facilities in our fund one. It's probably an eight month time frame, which we've found it and are going to close. Like eight months at minimum there's things going on that the seller's stuck with. That's opportunity for us because we can get a better deal. We can negotiate, we can get these things. So when we buy it, it's, you know, he couldn't sell it traditionally on the market. So we're the only ones working with them, less pressure of competition, and they don't have a lot of options. We're willing to do the work. We have attorneys. We're going to figure out those things that are wrong. Maybe it's something with the lot lines. Maybe it's something with the building. Maybe it's something, you know, whatever those are. We can solve those problems and then we can acquire it, but at a discounted value because the problems were there. But we solved them by the time we bought it. I love that. It's a lot more work, um, but we're, we're seeing those deals now. Four, you know, three, four years ago, they, they could have probably just traded and they would have gone for a lot of money which then you would have been paying for problems. So I like those opportunities and there's lots of them. Uh, and lots of them. If you work for it, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard. It's way harder. On well, it's just another today. piece of the value add strategy that you're talking exactly. about. Going in and being able to add value through solving problems, whether that's for a seller, for the tenants, whatever it is, that's what value add is. Yeah, you are paid yeah. on your ability to solve problems. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you want a broker to hand it to you, so if you want a hey, broker, you find me a good deal. The broker is going to hand it to you. Third party is going to operate it. Another third party is going to transact it. And that facility has very little risk. Why? Because it was run already really well. So everything was teed up to the table. You're not going to make as much money. Mm -hmm. We are paid directly in our ability to solve issues. And that is very evident in the marketplace today. That's why the people that aren't willing to do the work and aren't willing to take on risk, air quotations, because of problems, which we look at, it's not problems, it's a lot of work, um, they leave the market. All those people leave. Oh, it's not easy anymore. And two, you maybe think those are beginners. No, those are actually the big boys. Those are the institutional capital. Why? They're what they get paid on is placing capital. It's not owning, operating, or solving problems. They're capital allocators that says, I can get interest rates at 3% and this is a five cap. That's a 2% spread. I'm going to put it in. I'm going to get fees for placing the money, have a third party operate it. I actually want no risk. I want everything to be teed up because I don't get paid on that. I get paid by placing capital. So it spreads in capital. Mm -hmm. That's what they're moving around. It's a money game. That's it, right? That's how they get paid. 
when those people are making hay, it's because they're placing lots of capital. Whereas with us and others, we make hay by actually solving the issues. We're buying, we're fixing, we're doing those things. It takes longer, so we're solving problems, which are usually big problems. That may take three or four years, but we do it conservatively, so the problems won't tank us, all that kind of stuff, and then we just we reap the upside of it. So it's a patient, patience game, and it's a problem-solving game. But our yield is much higher, and that's how it should be. The marketplace should reward people that are fixing things and solving problems. We want higher yield as opposed to volume and placing capital. That's that's exactly. how we went. Yeah. No, and this is all good. And I mean, listening to everything that we're talking about right here is it all comes down to there's opportunities in small markets, small facilities, medium markets, medium facilities, large, large facilities. There's opportunities everywhere. Yep. There's risk associated with every single one. Every single one. All it has, all, all it comes down to is what you want to accomplish, what you're capable of doing, what you can execute on, yeah. and really what you truly want. It, it, oh, it really just in understanding what the opportunity is and what the risk is and planning accordingly to mitigate those and or capitalize on those. And so we've been breaking down a lot of this in numbers and different things. You guys can actually go to the newsletter, sign up. We, we, we're sending it out. We're doing like an industry update um a month we have a monthly industry update with data facts and then we also have a monthly economic update uh, that we put into that but we're comparing these things we're talking about these operations so that way people can see it so it's actually coming and they can see more so you can sign up for that and that that we i think it was last week or maybe the week before of this recording not when this came out that we just put out a, a big thing with the numbers and the breaking down on two different ones so that's a really uh, a good resource and tool for you to use and also to get industry snapshots and updates so you can see where these opportunities are so once again we're trying to be here to help you guys out also go to the youtube channel we break it down financials we actually show things that you can check all that out um and please guys like this video comment we're being totally open we're trying to give away all the secrets for free because we get paid on the execution not the secrets and that allows us to get more people who want to invest with us more people that want to partner with us and do deals but in order for that to work, we need our content to be shown more. So please like the video, comment, you guys. Let us know how you're liking what you want to know. That helps us for delivering this content for you guys for free. Exactly. Right. Thanks so much for everybody. Thanks, everybody. You guys support us so much that we want to support you. That's why we're giving our audiobook away for free. Leave a review on the podcast. Send it to us from the link below, and we will send you the Growing Wealth in Self-Storage audiobook completely for free. Thanks, everybody.